on? Am I on? Okay. Okay, well, we've got a, we've got a lot of verses to, to look at tonight. We're gonna, we didn't look at a lot of verses last week, but we're going to look at a lot of them this week. And uh, uh, I want to just kind of review a little bit. Uh, the basis of most of what I'm teaching is coming from these two sources, uh, Trinity and Reality by Ralph Smith, and then uh, this particular issue of Modern Reformation, uh, which is pretty much all about the Trinity. And so that, those were my references, but I also have uh, a couple of other places where I've gotten information. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, is that most all of it is in agreement. Uh, you, uh, uh, when you read these different sources, people who are doctrinaire on the Trinity pretty much all believe about the same thing, you know. So, but if you go out and do a search on the Internet, you're going to find all kinds of things about people, you know, big uh, websites about people that don't believe the Trinity and can, you know, will try to use uh, explanations for all, all the verses that we use to justify the, our belief in the Trinity. They will try to come up with alternate explanations or say that, that uh, we have overstepped the bounds of, of, uh, of biblical interpretation and all kinds of stuff, you know. So, uh, the, you know, it's all out there. And that's why it's, it's just going out and doing an internet search on stuff can be kind of dangerous because uh, you can cross the line from a, a, a doctrine, a, a true Christian doctrine into the area of heresy pretty quickly and not even realize it sometimes. Um, yes, so you have to know what you believe. Okay, so tonight we're going to look at Trinity and Scripture. I did want to uh, go back and review a little bit from last week, so if you can put that up. Uh, here's a definition of the Trinity. We'll review that. There is one God in three persons, distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three are equal in glory, majesty, and power, and exist in relationship to one another. They are not merely different names for the one God. Okay, and then put up the scripture references, if you would. It's just the next slide. These are our primary scripture references, okay? Uh, in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, where the, the baptism of Jesus is, is recounted, where uh, Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and the Father uh, and God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, so that's where you see the entire, all three persons of the Trinity in one place. Okay, and then Matthew 28, 18 through 19, the Great Commission, that's where Paul, Peter, uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, go therefore to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he talks about the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, that's, that was his command to his disciples. Okay, and then uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is a, is a Trinitarian benediction by Paul. Uh, and we can look that up real quick uh, just to review it. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, so he names all three uh, of the persons of the Trinity in that statement. Okay, and then the last one is Titus 3, 4 through 7. And that's a really good one because it, uh, it ties all three persons of the Trinity to our uh, reconciliation and our salvation. It says, when the goodness of my love... And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, God our Savior. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So you see God the Father, who is our Savior also, Jesus is our Savior in that sense, and then the Holy Spirit, who... Uh, does our, the regeneration and the, and the renewal in our lives. So, uh, you know, there's all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in those verses. And that's, that's a, I think that's a, an excellent verse or excellent set of verses. Okay, and then let's look at the diagram again. Okay, this is the Trinity chart. This thing's been around for centuries, okay? And it shows that uh, the homoousia is God. That's his essence, okay? That's the essence or substance of God, okay, and that's in the middle of the triangle, okay, and then the person or subsistence, hypostasis, is what the, the 
different persons of the Trinity are. It's the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And these bi-directional arrows show that the Holy Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But all three are God, in essence. Okay, So uh, we worship one God in three persons. Okay, So to start out tonight, we're going to say we are monotheists, okay? We are, uh, Christians are monotheists. We believe there is one God. We, believe, we know that the Bible teaches that there is one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, that's the Shema. If you want to look that up, I think a lot of people are familiar with that one, but uh, let's look it up anyway. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So that's the, the, that's the, the statement uh, in Scripture that uh, the Lord our God is one. Okay, And there are other references. And uh, you can go ahead and uh, put up the first slide of the, of the group. Next, go to the next one. Okay, so what I've done is, in, in keeping with not looking up every single verse, because there's a lot of verses in, that I've listed, okay, so the ones that I gray out, we're not going to look those up, but if you want to write them down, you can, okay? These others are kind of close together, so we will look at them, uh, and they're important. This is kind of the, this is the leadoff, and so I'd like to look at most of these. Okay, and then James 2.19 Try to stay ahead of me, and that way somebody can be looking up the verse and read the verse for me, so I'm not reading everything. That way you guys can not go to sleep because you're reading. Okay, somebody have James 2.19? Okay. Okay, so James says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the, the demons believe. So just believing that God is one is not enough, okay? Uh, we're going to look at uh, what it means to really let the Trinity impact your life uh, as a believer uh, as we close up tonight. That's going to be some of the last things we look at. Okay, so uh, God revealed his plurality gradually in Scripture, you know, the a lot of times in, in the Bible, when there's truth to be revealed, God reveals it a little bit at a time, instead of giving you the whole picture at once. That's why Paul talks about the fact that there are mysteries, okay? But a mystery is not something that is always completely unknown or still unknown. A mystery is something that used to be unknown and has, has since been revealed, okay? Uh, so uh, he uses that reference a lot, but uh, God reveals his plurality gradually in Scripture, Okay, there, there's implicit evidence in the Old Testament. It's not, it's not direct, but you read these things and you think, aha, you know, there's an indication that there's maybe plurality in, within God. Okay, now, uh, Jewish uh, scholars, uh, people that are like Unitarian in belief, uh, they will deny vehemently that any kind of a plurality reference in the name of God or, or with respect to God in the scriptures has anything to do with with him being plural in nature, okay? Because they st strictly believe that any kind of multiple persons within the Godhead is a polytheism, okay? So, the first place we'll look is uh, in Genesis 1, Genesis 3, and Genesis 11. Each one of these references is where God is speaking and makes the statement, let us, okay? So the first one, Genesis 1.26, is where he says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Okay, so who is God speaking to? Well, the people who don't believe that he's uh, addressing himself in the plural believe that uh, uh, he's addressing his angels, okay? Uh, the problem that I have with that and that just about everybody else that, you know, looks at it from a Trinitarian point of view and, and a, a Christian point of view is that, are we made in the image of angels? 
If God says, let us make man in our image, are we made in the image of angels? Uh, no way. You know, Hebrews says angels are, are ministering servants sent out for our benefit. Okay? So we're not made in their image. Okay? Uh, the next one is uh, in Genesis 3.22 where he's talking about Adam and Eve. And he says, now uh, they are like us in knowing good and evil. And that's when they needed to come out of the garden and, and block the, the uh, entrance to the garden. And so there again, let us. And then uh, in 11.7, that is when the, the uh, people built the Tower of Babel. And uh, God said, they've all got one language. And nothing will be, uh, let us go down there and confound their language. Let us, nothing will be impossible for them. So he said, let us go down there and, and confound their language. Who's he talking when he says, let us do this? Okay. Another theory uh, about that is they, there's this thing called the majestic plural. And uh, it's really more of a Western concept, actually, but it's uh, the idea that when, a, when royalty speaks, a lot of times they will use that plural kind of a talk. Uh, we are not pleased. Uh, I, you know, let, let us do these things, you know, in, in speaking. But the problem is, is that's not really used in ancient uh, Eastern literature at all. Uh, it's, it's not. And so, they, you know, they will use that as a, as a basis uh, for that. But... And the thing is, is that, you know, uh, I don't think we can use these verses as absolute proof of a trinity, but we do see within them, we see God, you know, making plural references with regard to himself. Okay, so uh, at this point in time, you know, the trinity itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had not really been revealed. But there is indication here of plurality within the Godhead. Okay, then... Uh, we got a couple of things called Christophanies that appear in Genesis. The first one's in Genesis 8, 18, 10 through 33. So if you want to turn there real quick, we can look at that one. Okay, so anyway, here's what's happened. The, kind of the lead-in. Abraham's sitting outside his tent, and uh, these three guys come walking up. And three guys he never doesn't know, okay? And, but he's in the, in the culture of the time and in, in uh, a spirit of, of the times, he is very hospitable towards them. And he invites them to come in and eat. And so he tells his servant to go prepare, you know, prepare an animal uh, uh, to, for a calf or... A bull, or I think it's a, a young, a young uh, uh, bull or something, a, a calf, yeah. So he says, And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who, to prepare it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and uh, the calf that he prepared and set it before them and stood by them while they ate. Okay. So then, uh, after they have a dialogue with him about Sarah, uh, he, he begins to understand that one of these guys is the Lord. One of these guys is, you know, the one who told me to leave my country. Uh, and so they go through the dialogue about Sarah. They go through, why did Sarah laugh? I'm going to come back about this time next year, and you're going to have a son, you know, and so forth. Then it says, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, in seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, notice that I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Okay, it says, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Okay, so these other two guys were going to Sodom, and Abraham was going to stand there because he wasn't ready to let the Lord go yet. He had some business with him. So what he did was he, he basically interceded 
for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he started down this list. Okay, if, suppose there's 50 righteous in, in Sodom when you get there and find out. Are you going to destroy the whole city and, and, and leave those 50 people to go with them? And so the Lord says, if there's 50 there, I'll spare it. And so Abraham keeps going down, you know, a little bit more. He's bargaining with him until he gets down to 10. And, uh, and then it says, if you look at the very end of the chapter, uh, after he's through bargaining with him, he gets down to 10. And the Lord says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. It says, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And then when you go to the next chapter, you see the two angels entering Sodom and going to the house of Lot. Okay, So what we had here was we had a Christophany in the Lord, probably a, a, a manifestation of the Son, okay? and then you had two angels. But when Abraham was talking to the Lord, it was like talking, basically talking to the Father, okay? Uh, but it's interesting in, in the conversation how when he's, uh, when he's talking about, shall I reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, goes back here, he says, uh, I have chosen him that he may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Th those are strange words. I have chosen him, but then he says, so that the Lord can do these things, and he will honor the Lord. So why doesn't he say, so that, I, so that he will honor me? He talks about the Lord, okay? He uses the name. So obviously, there, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a, a strange wording here, in the, and I'm not sure what all the Hebrew words say, but I think the translation here is probably the best that they can do from the Hebrew. And so it kind of indicates that He's talking about himself, but he's also talking about the Lord, okay, as though the Lord is somebody different, okay? So that's a little bit, uh, that's, that's something we have to consider, okay? And then uh, the next uh, Christophany is one, it's a, it's a much shorter one, and that's the one where Jacob is uh, coming back from uh, being with Laban. He's going back, and uh, let's see. We want to go to that. It's uh, Genesis 32. Okay, so... Uh, This is when Jacob is coming back to his country from being with Laban. And it said, uh, so, 24 to 30. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint, and he wrestled with him more as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, it's Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Okay, so Jacob believed he had seen God. He believed that the man that he wrestled with that night was God. Okay. And we believe he's God too because it's, that's what the word says. Okay. So there we have another manifestation of God in apparently human form uh, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. Okay. So. Okay. We have the Messianic references. And the three key ones that we need to look at, Psalm 110, which you're going to be familiar with, because a lot of it is, if you went through the Hebrew study at all with Ben, a lot of uh, what's quoted in Hebrews, it comes from Psalm 110. Okay? So let's look at Psalm 110 real quick.
Okay, did somebody just read verse 1? Okay, where else was that verse quoted besides in Psalm 110? Who else used it? I know of two other places that it occurs in the New Testament. Anybody know? Okay, first of all, Jesus quoted it. He was talking to the, I, I couldn't, you know, people, this is like when I teach my I've got, I teach a bunch of 11th grade dual credit students, you know, from, uh, from Roy City, and I'll, I, the classroom isn't near this big, but they're sitting there, and I'll say, uh, who knows this? And one of them say, you know, I can't hear anything they're saying. I've got to walk right up to them and say, would you please repeat what you said? <laughs> so <laughs> if, if, if you answer, please speak up so we can all hear, Okay. But yes, Jesus quoted this when he was dealing with the Pharisees. They were trying to trap him and trick him and get him to answer questions. So he said, oh, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. And he quoted this and said, who's David talking about? He said, he calls, him, he calls uh, the person Lord, but it's David's offspring. How can his offspring be his Lord? And, uh, and they couldn't answer, okay, because they were blind. Okay, the other one. Uh, is in Hebrews chapter 1 where it talks about uh, close to the end of the chapter I don't know the exact verse uh, but it says you know uh, and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet okay so he was referring to this verse and, and in uh, Hebrews they're talking about of course Jesus they're talking about he's, he's referring to Christ okay so <clears throat> this is considered a messianic psalm. And then we have two very, very familiar passages in Isaiah. And we're going to spend most of our time, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time here. We've got a lot of scripture left to look at, and we'll get through as much of it as we can, but we'll probably just, uh, just name, name some of the references later. But I do want to look at these two in Isaiah. They're familiar, but they're also very key. So we've got uh, Isaiah 7, 14. I want somebody to read Isaiah 7, 14. Somebody got it? Okay, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, yeah. Okay, so this is a, this is a uh, messianic prediction, okay? The other one is uh, Isaiah uh, 9, verses 6 through 7. Okay, thank you. Okay, so it says a child is going to be born, a son's going to be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And then these names Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace these are divine names being given to somebody who's going to be born. Okay, so a really good indication in the Old Testament that there is. Somehow, somebody who's going to be born is going to be divine, okay? Uh, we don't have modalism going on here. We don't have God deciding to leave heaven and just be born. And while he's born and living on the earth, he's not in heaven, you know? Uh, and then when he goes back up, uh, he turns into the Holy Spirit and comes back down and, and dwells people. You know, that's, that's the modalism we talked about last week, Okay? So that's just God manifesting himself in three different ways, but not really as three distinct persons, okay? 
So that's, that's what we see in the Old Testament as far as prophecies regarding and, and uh, references to uh, uh, manifestations of God that indicate that there, there must be some kind of plurality uh, in, in the Godhead. Okay, so now we're going to go to the New Testament. So if you want to uh, see. Okay, those, besides our four key references for this study, uh, the doctrine is developed in John 1, 1 through 18, uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 17, uh, John 5, 8, or sorry, John 8, 58, John 14, 15 through 17, and 26, and 17, 20 through 23. We have there the testimony that Jesus is God, Jesus is claimed to divinity, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. Okay, so... Uh, I would like to look each one of these, uh, these scriptures up, and then we'll start going through the, the various uh, persons in the, script, in the New Testament. So let's look up John 1, 1 through 18. Okay, we'll just we'll take excerpts out of here instead of reading all 18 verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, so we have this, this person called the Word. Okay, when did he exist? In the beginning. Okay. And... It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not, was not anything made that was made. So what do we have there? Yeah. I mean, and what do you have to be to, to create the universe? You have to be God, and you have to be all-powerful. Okay? Uh, and then it goes down, and it says... Uh, he came to his own... His, and his own people did not receive him, but all, to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so we have the eternally existing Son who was an agent of, of, of creating everything that exists. And uh, he, he became flesh and dwelled among us. Okay, and, they, and he, was the son of, he was the son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So really the first 18 verses of John pretty much lay it all out. Uh, it's pretty hard to read those verses and believe them and not believe that Jesus is God. Okay? If you, if you can read those verses and come to a different conclusion, then you're using some kind of a different hermeneutic, okay, uh, to uh, interpret, because they're pretty clear. Okay, the, uh, the next thing we'll look at is uh, Jesus' own claims to divinity. Uh, and these aren't the only two, okay? Uh, I cherry-picked. Uh, there's a lot of other places we could go. But let's look at Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Somebody want to read that? 13, verses 13 through 17. Matthew 16.
Okay, so there you have an outright claim by Jesus that he is God, that he's the son of the Father. Okay? Uh, and I specifically went to that one because that one's not in the Gospel of John. Somebody said, well, you know, you, all your references about Jesus being from the Father are in John. Well, there's other places where Jesus claimed to be God. Okay? Uh, John 8:58 is another place. This is, you know, Jesus was just really blatant with his claims. So anybody who thinks that he was just a good guy and a great prophet, but not God, uh, is ignoring a whole, whole lot of what he said about himself. And uh, you just have to almost come to the conclusion that he was crazy, you know, or, or a fraud if those things weren't true. Okay, John 8.58 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay? <laughs> A pretty clear indication. He pre-existed Abraham, and he uses the name of God, I am. When Moses was uh, at the burning bush, and he asked God to tell him, What name do I give to the people uh, when I go back to them to say who sent me? And he said, Tell them I am sent me. Sent you. Okay? Uh, Jesus made a bunch of I am statements in John. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He just made a whole bunch of I am statements. You can go through the, the, the Gospel of John, you can find lots of I am statements. And every one of those statements, when Jesus said I am, he's basically using the name of God. Okay. And then uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is a a really clear indication of the, the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, okay? Not just a force. It's in John 14. It's not like, may the force be with you and that kind of stuff. It's, this is, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is really a person. Okay, 15 through 17 and verse 26. I've got it on the paper in front of me, but it's a whole lot easier to just look back there and see it. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. So Jesus basically is ascribing divine characteristics to this thing called the Holy Spirit, this person called the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, and then... Uh, in John 17, verses 20 through 23. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus, I do not, Jesus is, is praying and he says, he's praying to his father and he says, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So, and then he goes on and says this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, so there we have a statement about the fact that love existed within the Trinity, within the, within the Godhead, before the foundation of the world. Okay.
All right. So let's go to the next slide. Okay, now we're going to look at the persons of the Trinity. We're going to look at the different verses that uh, are referenced there. And I'm probably just going to summarize some of what these are. Okay? Uh, there's some references in the Old Testament to God as Father. Uh, Psalm 68.5 and 103.13 are there. But there's a whole lot more references in the New Testament. When Jesus comes and he talks about my Father... Okay, he refers to God as his father in many places. When he taught his disciples to pray, they said, teach us to pray. And he said, pray this way, our father who is in heaven. Okay, uh, addressing him as our father. Okay, uh, so let's look at Romans 1-7 real quick. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Okay, uh, the idea being that God, when Paul makes this reference to God, he is speaking of God the Father. There's other references there in gray. Uh, you can write those down and look them up if you want to. Okay, the scripture attributes the divinity to the Son. We've already looked at a bunch of references uh, where Jesus was... Uh, either said he, he was divine himself or it was written about him like it was in John 1. Okay? The Son is given divine names. Uh, we can look at Revelation 1.8. That's a good one to look at. Just going to kind of go through these quickly so we don't run over because I want to be sure we get to the end uh, and wrap this up with some, uh, some practical things here. Jesus, this is when John has the vision of Jesus in his glorified state. Come on, Bill. You do better than that. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who, is, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, so the Alpha and the Omega is a, is a divine name. And this is when John has the vision of Jesus. Okay. So the Son has divine attributes. We've already seen how he existed in eternity past. In John 1, 2. Uh, he's immutable. That means he doesn't change. Uh, Hebrews 1, 11 through 12. It's talking about, it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Okay, so he doesn't change. He's the same for all of eternity. Okay. And then uh, he's omnipresent in Matthew uh, 2820, which is the Great Commission, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? So, and he also said in Matthew 1820, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Okay? So, uh, when we gather together, Jesus is present with us, okay, in, 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 in spirit. Okay? And, uh, and so, he promised that to his disciples. Okay, he's omniscient, he knows everything, and he's all-powerful. In Hebrews 1.3, it talks about the fact that he upholds the universe with the word of his power. Okay? And in Colossians uh, chapter 1, it talks about the fact that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay? Okay, next slide. Okay, the Son does divine works. We just talked about the one in Colossians. Salvation in Acts 4.12, uh, there's no other name under heaven by which there men should be saved. Talking about the name of Jesus, okay? Uh, judgment, 
2 Corinthians 5.10. That's where it says, Paul says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive uh, either, you know, what we've done in this, in this life. We can look at that verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay. Okay, and then the Son is worshipped as God. And we've already seen where, uh, remember when Philip fell down before the risen Lord and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus accepted his worship. He accepted what he said about him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him in the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. So he's worshipped as God. And then God is, the Holy Spirit is God. Sometimes he's treated like a stepchild in in a trinity, but he's, uh, he's just... He has as much glory, as much power, and is, uh, and, and is equal with the Father and the Son. Okay? Uh, he's called God in Acts 5, 3, and 4. This is where Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land. They brought the, the, some of the money to uh, Peter and basically laid it down at his feet and told him that that was the full price of the land that they'd sold, which was a lie. Peter says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh, and uh, because you uh, have done this, you have lied to God. Okay? So you can look that verse up, but uh, in one place it says they lied to the Holy Spirit, and the other place it says they lied to God. Okay? So uh, the Holy Spirit is treated as God in that statement by Peter. Okay? Uh, he has divine attributes. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 14. Really good one. says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the Spirit teaches us. He has divine attributes. He does divine works. Romans 8, 26 is where it says, when we, don't, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for, for us with words that cannot be, with groanings that cannot be uttered, which is a great comfort in prayer. You know, you may be sincerely praying about something and not really even know how to do it, not, not have the words, just feel like you're powerless, you know. But what comfort we have to know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us to the Father, okay? And then he's worshiped as God. Matthew 12, 32 is the account of the unforgivable sin where Jesus says, if you, have, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it is not forgiven. And he's talking specifically to the Pharisees when they had attributed the works of Jesus' miracles to uh, the works of Satan. So, uh, okay. Last point, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are present together but are clearly distinct from one another. And that can be seen in Matthew uh, 3:16 through 17, which is the uh, account of Jesus' baptism. Calvin says, It is not fitting to suppress the distinction that we observe to be expressed in Scripture. It is this, To the Father is attributed the beginning of, it, of activity and the fountain and wellspring of all things. To the Son, wisdom, counsel, and the ordered disposition of all things. And to the Spirit is assigned the power and efficacy of all that activity. So, how does this affect us in our daily lives? 
First, we have to ask ourselves the question, is my own faith and, and practice as a Christian thoroughly defined by and immersed in Trinitarian faith? We worship, we pray, we confess, and sing our laments and praises to the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. We are baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the things that, in the, in the references that I used to prepare for this, one thing that kept was fairly common throughout was how we pray, okay? We can be sloppy in our prayers. We can, be, we can use bad theology when we pray, okay? Not to say that, you know, God's going to ignore us when we do that, but we pray to the Father, okay? And we pray in the Son by the Spirit. It's a, that's, that's the way we pray. Whether we do that or not, that's the way we pray, Okay? And it's, it's helpful to us to know that that's the way we pray. That's the way we should pray. Okay? Uh, that's, uh, that's, the way that the, that's the way biblical prayers are addressed. And so that's one of the things that was fairly common in these references that I was using. And it's, it's good food for thought. Okay? We need to have good theology and, and have right thoughts about God and his person. Okay? We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are adopted as children, not of a, a unipersonal God, but of the Father as, and co-heirs with his Son as mediator, united in this, to the Son and his church by the uh, body, by the Spirit. All good gifts come from the Father, through the Spirit, to the Son. No less than the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are also our creator and preserver. No less than the Son, the Father, and the Spirit are our Savior and Lord. And no less than the Father and the, and the Son is the Spirit worshipped and glorified. Okay, now we're going to talk about union and communion. So remember when Ben preached all those sermons about union with Christ. Okay? Union with Christ, if we are believers, we are united to Jesus. Okay? And... It's, we can't really think about the fact that we can be more united with Jesus or less united with Jesus. We're, we're united with Jesus, okay? So union with Christ is kind of something that we are by definition. But our communion with Christ, with our communion with the Father and, and through Jesus is something that uh, is not just a given. <clears throat> communion includes all of our spirit-empowered responses actions, habits, and disciplines of maintaining fellowship and communication with God. Okay, so we look at John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about he is the vine and we are the branches. When we abide in him, we produce fruit. Any branch that doesn't uh, abide in him doesn't produce fruit, and the Father takes it away. Okay, so our, our communion is something that we participate in that, okay? We are, uh, we are active in communion. It's not a thing of works, but it is a thing of spiritual disciplines, which uh, Scott preached a, a, a series of sermons on spiritual disciplines. And uh, we are, the Bible exhorts us to exercise spiritual disciplines uh, in the New Testament, Okay? Again, Christian prayer is directed to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, whether or not we attend to its direction. And then we ought to stir up each other to seek fresh awareness and renewed experiences of communion with the Father and the, with God the Father, His love and electing, God the Son, His grace and truth as our mediator, and God the Holy Spirit, His indwelling and formation. We need an accurate Trinitarian understanding of God in order to walk faithfully. And then I want to close with uh, one more quote. And because the divine essence common to all three persons is but one, we call the same unity. But because there, are, there be three distinct persons in this one individual essence, we call the same trinity. So that this unity in trinity and trinity in unity is a holy mystery, rather to be religiously adored by faith than curiously searched by reason further than God has revealed in his word. That's from Lewis Bailey in The Practice of Piety. And I think that's a good quote to end on when we're talking about the Trinity because 
uh, it's something we need to adore and accept by faith. And beyond what God has revealed in his word about it, we don't need to be going there. Let's not make this a philosophical exercise because uh, heresy is knocking at the door when you do that kind of thing. Okay? Uh, does anybody have any questions? Any issues? Okay. Well, I hope you all have gotten some, some things about the Trinity that you didn't know before or hadn't thought of before. I hope this has been beneficial to you. It certainly was beneficial to me preparing. It was very worthwhile. You know, I got a lot out of it. Uh, it, it opened my eyes up and my appreciation for our, our wonderful, you know, awesome God uh, more than ever. So uh, I think it's something that uh, when you realize that he, he's not comprehensible, fully comprehensible, you know, and our tendency as humans is we want to make him that way. And that's why people have a real hard time with like the divinity of Jesus and the the uh, doctrine of the Trinity is because it goes beyond their ability to understand. And as humans, in our fallenness, we want to be God. We want to be able to understand, and we want to make God into what we want him to be. So, okay, well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth, the truth of your word. We thank you for this wonderful revelation of uh, your divine majesty. One, one God in three persons. We thank you that we have redemption, we have uh, uh, sanctification, and we have eternal life because uh, of your, of your uh, triune nature. And Lord, we know that without that, uh, if, you were just a, if you were just a monad, we know that uh, we would not be able to relate to you or know you. We thank you that... Uh, we have your word that we have, uh, Lord, in, here at Cross Point, we have uh, elders that bring us uh, the truth of the scripture every Sunday. And Father, help us to not just let these things uh, sit in us, but Lord, help us to, to uh, let them flow from us to people around us into our everyday situations uh, so that we can spread your glory around. And... Uh, Glorify you, Lord, through our lives. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.